Good morning. Uh, I'm going to be reading a, a kind of a long excerpt from the Gospel of John. So if you wouldn't mind, just in honor of the Gospel, would you stand with me for the reading? Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. He's trying to figure this out. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, that you do not understand these things. I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will I speak, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. The word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. I was really um, wonderfully challenged and nudged, I think, by the Holy Spirit from last week's message that Jonathan gave about how God is present in places that you just don't think he's going to be there, right? Places of pain, places of suffering. And even though I wholeheartedly agree that God's intent is not for those things, there's not a sense that um, we think God is out to hurt us in some way. But in places where we are convinced he just couldn't be, I mean, otherwise we wouldn't be in pain, God promises to align himself with us. The great physician shows up where there's sickness. The great physician shows up where there's pain. The great deliverer shows up where there's deliverance needed. God is always present in the heartache of humanity. Um, and this idea that God is tucked away within the pain, again, not causative, but there to help and to nurture and to, and to aid. Um, and that he reveals himself right smack in the middle of that is actually a very deep, rich Christian, deep and rich in the Christian tradition as far as thoughts are concerned. And, um, and it isn't new for most of us. I mean, every time that you experience forgiveness, you taste this, how God is in the midst of pain. I mean, there you are. You've been an idiot. Has anyone else been an idiot? Yeah, okay. So you've been an idiot. You've been stupid. It's your own devices. You feel stupid. You want to beat yourself. You want to hate yourself. And then here's the presence 
of God, wooing you, welcoming you. It's like the prodigal who comes home and tries to tell about all how stupid he's been. And God, the father who we think is representative of God, doesn't even listen to what he's saying. Just come here, son, and celebrates him and loves him. I think there's something really, really powerful about the fact that in the midst of the pain and the horror of guilt and shame, God is there in his power. So we've experienced in that kind of sense. But um, what struck me about the message last week, and I was kind of noodling over the course of the week, was how counterintuitive the notion is that God is actually present in those kinds of contexts, in those places of suffering. That God's power is somehow hidden and is present inside the hard places of the human experience because it's so counterintuitive to us. We're not really likely to embrace the idea at all, much less robustly, so that when we see pain coming or loss being experienced, we don't very naturally just go, okay, God, you're here. Something good is going to flip from this. We don't tend to do that. We tend to think, God, you must have abandoned me. There's no way you're here. Or this would, this would have never happened. That's kind of our natural default. We are not like the psalmist who said, you're a very present help in trouble. We're more likely to say, there's trouble. You're not present at all. Right? And something about our, our, our Western minds, the way that we're wired, we just don't like the idea of mixing the power of Christ with suffering. We'd, we'd rather drift into the hoping that, 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 that any evidence of divine power always precipitates miracles. That anytime God's power is present, that it always, wrongs are always put to right. You know, that's kind of what we expect. We want to see God at work through the alleviation of pain and the alleviation of loss, not in it, not through it, right? Um, and I think, in a way, the idea of, of God being present and somehow working in the midst of all of that sort of demoralizes our faith and, and baffles us. I mean, it really is the fodder and the motivation for atheism. A lot of the new atheists are, can't understand if God is really real, why is there pain in the world, right? That kind of idea. But, but I think over and over in the sacred text, we have to face the fact that it affirms that power rests deeply hidden in the most ugly places of suffering and pain in the narrow way of the cross, in the grit of ugly Golgotha, that somehow God is stirring in the midst of it. The opening texts of the Bible start out, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. You'd expect the next part to say, and God was nowhere. <laughs> and yet it says the earth was formless and dark and void, all was just nothing, and God was hovering. Anticipating the new in the midst of the chaos. Paul seemed to grasp this idea that somehow in the midst of painful places, God is seen and God's power can actually be revealed in some remarkable way. He says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of of sharing in his sufferings. He linked them together. Christ, his power of resurrection, along with the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. Somehow suffering and death and power go together. But in general, we moderns don't want that. We want Easter. We want resurrection power without tying it too much to that dark, murderous 
Friday that preceded it. And in truth, in American Protestantism, the least attended service of the year, Good Friday. It's just too messy. And can't we just get to Easter? It's the place where the bunnies come. <laughs> this tension, right? We just don't like messiness. This tension and the confusion about suffering is seen in the reaction of Nicodemus in our text we just read. I mean, here Nicodemus is coming to Jesus by night, and he's saying, he says to him in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. Notice how he knows it. He knows it because no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing. So he immediately ties presence of God to miraculous signs. I think that's what we all do. But then he says, he wants to talk about God's power, but then Jesus replies and says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Now, Nicodemus goes, what are you talking about, right? I, what do you mean born again? He gets confused by Jesus' comment that something internal has to happen to see the kingdom. And then he goes, well, wait a minute. Um, he says, how can a man be born when he is old in verse 4? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. So he's trying to figure out how this works. And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water, born of spirit. The spirit gives birth to spirit. He says in verse 7, you must be born again. Then he talks about how the wind blows. Now the Holy Spirit can't be seen where he's coming from or where he's going and all this spiritual activity. And, 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 and Nicodemus goes, wait a minute, how can this be done? I mean, how can this be? How can this be? Is what he basically asks. How does this work? And then Jesus unpacks it. He says in verse 3, the way, the way the Spirit starts moving, the way that people start seeing the kingdom of God, the way that life becomes new and things are born all over again, is as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert. It's an old story about how Israel was bitten and they were dying and they put a brass snake on a pole and if they would look to the brass snake, the thing that was killing them stopped killing them. He said, just like that happened, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus is basically saying, he's launching into this idea that the way the kingdom works, the way you see it, the way you can be born into it, the way that this all comes alive, the way the Spirit begins to move where you don't know where he's coming from or where he's going, is it all starts in the suffering of the cross. This is where God's power appears for the world, is in this cross moment. This is how a person become, become new. This is how the Spirit makes all things new. It is in the face of suffering. The spiritual transformation that's going to change everything isn't in the miracles Jesus was doing in front of Nicodemus, where Nicodemus wants to talk about the miracles. It's in his death he's going to die. It's in the suffering that he's going to embrace. Power appears where suffering is. What if that's true? What if our response to pain and suffering shouldn't be just to quickly avoid it, but to somehow stop and ask the question, how can this be? What needs to happen in me? How should I respond? Where is God in the midst of this? Not that he's always causal, but where is he in the midst of this darkness? What's going on? I'm, I mean, I've always accepted all my life that Jesus suffered for us, and I think all of us do, and that is important. But I always attach it to the notion of substitution. In other words, he suffered, but he did it for moi. And since he did it for me, I don't have to. 
That's kind of the way that I think, right? I mean, that's, that he replaces. It's a really nice concept. <laughs> it just doesn't hold up in the sacred text. Now, you read texts like 1 Peter 2.21 where it says, um, to this you were called, to this you were called, to this you were called. Listen to it. Because Christ suffered for you. So far, so good. You'd want it to say, so you won't have to. But he says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps of suffering. Oh, really bad Bible verse. What do you do with those verses, right? You think, how can this be? <laughs> like Nicodemus. In Matthew 16, here's another un, not very favorite verse. Uh, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, if anyone would come after me, we're all going, yeah, me, me, you know, I want to go after you. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When has denying ourselves ever not been suffering? When has it not precipitated pain or sorrow? You want this and you say, no, I'm not going to go after that. There's something in you that goes, my pretty. Right? I mean, it certainly isn't natural to me to deny me. I want to use my faith to get all that I dream of and imagine, even beyond what I'd imagine or dream or hope for. According to the power that works in me because God loves me. But the New Testament, I mean, it continues to pick up on this theme. It's an absolute presupposition. That if you are going to be a follower of Jesus, you will need to be comfortable with suffering. Suffering sometimes among friends and people. Suffering sometimes because God asks you to do something you're not wanting to do. All kinds of suffering. The apostles were, who were with Jesus spoke of and experienced all kinds of sufferings. I mean, at the end of the day, the God, you know, the, the, the um, kind of plan Jesus had for them when he's sitting down with the apostles and said, man, have I, do I have a plan for your life? It wasn't a fat 401k and a you know, wonderful retirement program and that they're going to influence all. You know, it wasn't all that. He said, you know what the plan is? What, what, what? You're all going to die. <laughs> Horrible deaths. They all went, okay. You know what they said? We'd be honored to die anything like you died. They, they rejoiced when they were beaten. <laughs> they were able to suffer for his name's sake. I'm telling you, they were, not, they were bad Americans. The pursuit of happiness was not in their constitution. It was the pursuit of God, obedience. How can this be? Right? Here's the bottom line. If we want God's power in our lives, we have to embrace pain and suffering. We have to take up our cross. We get this in so many contexts. No pain, no gain. We get that when it comes to physical exercise. We get that when it comes to the notion that we're going to advance in our career, that we're going to have to go through some painful classes or do some extra. We get it. No pain, no gain. The only place we don't apply that is in spirituality. Because anything that seems of pain, we just kind of go, well, that can't be the Lord, or it's just religion. Now, the kind of suffering we're talking about, I'm not talking about the suffering of bad things, you know, where you're uh, sickness and disease and all the kind of bad stuff that happens. I mean, it's true that even in those kinds of contexts, that God will help you bear it. 
and that there's some good things that can happen in you. But I'm, I don't want to focus on that kind of bad stuff. I don't think that every time something horrible happens, like this thing that happened at the OSU campus uh, yesterday, that this, this horrible, painful thing, that God is in it in the sense that he is a perpetrator of it or that it was his will. I think where God is in it is that even in the midst of this horrible, evil situation that is so prodigality was full. I mean, somebody that's wasted their lives and drink and, and just think of how this gal must deal with her. I mean, so sad. And the people's lives that have been lost, all of that loss, God's still in it. Not that he's pushing it, but that he is able in the midst of all that pain, if we will learn to say yes to him in the midst of it, begin to bring forth new life. That he's hovering over the places that are dark and horrible and evil. That he's able to turn it around. That his power is always present. That's the point. But I'm not talking about, how, I don't want to talk about how to bear suffering. Jonathan dealt with that a little bit, and there's more that can be said about that. Obviously, it's beautiful. But I want to talk about the places of suffering that we should choose on purpose to torment ourselves. I want to talk about a couple of places you should leap into the pain. Just leap into it. I mean, just recklessly, incautiously, irrationally embrace pain. What kind of pain am I talking about? I'm talking about two primary areas where, where suffering is a must for power to be experienced in our lives. And they are, number one, the pain of pursuing God. The pain of pursuing God. And number two, I want to talk about the pain of obeying him once we've pursued him. The pain of obedience. Okay, so those two issues I want to focus on. These are internal sufferings. It's interesting to me that when Jesus begins his passion, he didn't begin it with people beating him or jamming jamming thorns into his head and all that kind of stuff, or nailing his hands. It began with him moving toward his father in a garden. And as he goes in there, the internal pressure of what was going to happen begins to rip at him. And, and it says that he was actually stumbling. He was under such pain. And that there were blood actually appeared on his skin. He was under such pressure, anxiety. Like, what's just happening to me? And as he's talking to his father, he's saying, Father, if it's possible, please let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is the beginning of the power being unleashed that changed the world, that helped people be born again, that enabled the power of the Spirit to move to and fro on the earth to cause all the good that comes into the world. It starts with this place of suffering. And somehow, I think, and I would like to suggest that for us, these two pursuits of God, or just personally the pursuit of him or the pursuit of obedience, these are internal sufferings that we should run at and open ourselves to God to experience. The pain of pursuing God first in John 4, it says, Jesus is speaking, and he says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him, where? In spirit and in truth. God can only be worshipped from a place that's deeper than emotion. A place that's deeper than ego or reasoning. It's deeper than what's happening around you. We're supposed to worship him in spirit. Now, in order to try to grasp that, I want to nod to two things. One is, I think he's talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. That we need the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says that no one can even say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. I mean, that... that, that, it says in John that the only way that we can come to Jesus is if we're drawn to come to Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit is the one who allows us to connect with God and open to God. So we have 
to look for him. I, that's why, to me, we come to church. That's why I open my Bible to read or I pray, is that I'm looking for the spout where the spirit comes out, right? I'm looking for, I, I can only worship God in spirit and in truth. And I'm trying to find that place and discern that place. That's why, when we come to church, why I discipline myself to sing. You know how easy you can come to church and just drag yourself in and just go ahead and see if you can sing me in. I don't like that song, I ain't singing. You can be a little lazy little toad if you want to be. Or you can say, you know what? I don't care what the song is. I'm going to worship God. You say, well, that's painful. Yes! Pursuing God always includes pain. You've got to push yourself in areas you'd rather not. Or listening to a message. I can't tell you how many times people... You know, they, they'll come to church, and they'll come to church when they like the preacher that's preaching, or when so you know they say, "I don't know, I just, I just, I want someone who just make me laugh and make it fun." It's because we're this overly entertained culture where we don't think. We're we're amused. You know what amused means? Amused means that we're thinking people. Amused means we're not thinking people. We just go and we sit in front of screens and then we go, we just let it think for us. And, and family, listen, this is problematic. You will not get much out of the gospel if you don't learn to sit and listen. And lean in and listen. One of the things Gail always tells me, I'll say, I'll go to an event or something, hear these different speakers. And she said, which, you know, she'll ask me about somebody, are they very good? I said, oh, they're wonderful. She said, I can't believe you. She says, you think everybody's wonderful. <laughs> and the truth is, I do. I can sit in front of the most boring person that, you know, you just, be, and, and, and I'll sit there and I'll focus. And the more boring they are, the more intense I'm going to mine something out of them. Because they're wasting my time if I don't. I remember in Bible school, I heard this text preached. It was out of, the, out of Jesus when he said, take heed how you hear. And the preacher said, most people don't take heed how they hear. They just vegetate. They don't have the discipline of thinking. They don't sit up. They don't focus. They don't lean in. I, if you don't do that, you won't get out of it very much. You won't get the power that's present in those kind of moments. There's a friend of mine in Bible school who said he was on the front row. And, uh, and while he was, the, the preacher was preaching, he said, the guy slapped me. I mean, he was a Pentecostal preacher, got excited, and slapped the guy. He slapped him across the face. Pow! Slapped him. And he said it was just a moment. And I thought, I think he just slapped me. <laughs> do you listen like that? Are you so listening for the voice of the Spirit? Are you leaning into it? Are you leaning in when we come to the Eucharist and thinking about what it really is? Are you just kind of going, oh, I wonder if the bread tastes pretty good. I wonder if it tastes pretty good or not. Why are they putting it in my hand? What are we doing? Oh, who's that person over there? Oh, yeah, thanks. You think, you think you're going to have much transformation? You think you're going to have much spirit move in your life? No! You're just going to live in the land of the suck the rest of your life. There's, when you worship, so there's, there's not to the Holy Spirit, but not only to the Holy Spirit, we have to recognize that we, are, we have a spirit part to us that is deeper than our impulses of our body, is deeper than our passion, is deeper than our emotion, deeper than our reasoning. There's a part of us, you know, and we're talking now about 
sort of a human anthropology, a Christian anthropology, of understanding what the human makeup is, what constitutes a human being. And for the Christian, we understand that that involves spirit, soul, and body. Now, we can't really clearly cut that up as well as some of us would like to or as I, the way I used to, but, but there's, there's some kind of sense that even though we're a whole being, that there's a spiritual part of us, a soul part of us, which is our emotions and our intellect. There's a, a body part of us that has all kinds of issues going with it, you know, good and bad. And, and, and somehow we have to recognize that this spiritual part of us is different. It's deeper. I believe there's lots of people who have never identified their spiritual part. They live in their emotion. They live in their intellect. They live in their body. And they've never taken the time to discern which part of them is their spirit. And if you'll take time to discern what part of your spirit, see what happens is that they're strangers to part of themselves and they're strangers to God because the spirit is the part where God inhabits. The spirit is the part of us where we live and move and have our being in God. And if you're not very spiritual, if you don't identify that part of you, you're going to end up living as though God doesn't exist and living estranged from yourself. Do you know how many people live alienated lives in the modern world? They're alienated because they don't know their spiritual part. The problem is, is that spirit stuff requires painful processes to uncover. Boring stuff like prayer. You have to be willing to have honest prayer where you say, God, I just need to be honest. I'm just not very connected right now. I really don't even want to be talking to you right now, but I'm, I'm coming because I feel like I, I need to come because I need whatever it is you're going to do in my life. You just get honest with God. You need to have sometimes worshipful prayer where you say, God, you're bigger than me. I, I'm part of your story. You're the one that's created me. I'm not the one that's created you in my head. Somehow I open myself to you. You have to enter in some kind of a worship more than mind, more than emotion, kind of something. Silent prayer where you sit and you just say, you're here and just sit back. Meditative prayer. Times where you take the scripture prayer and you, you sort of pray scripture and it's not you're, not you're not praying or reading the text to understand it. You're trying to get it to read you instead of reading it. And these kinds of things, this is stuff that's torment to our fidgety, impatient, overstimulated minds. We, we don't like naturally drift towards these things. But family, and I struggle here still, but if you will dare to embrace the boring my kids used to tell me when they were, kid, when they were little, they'd say, Dad, I'm so bored. And I would always tell them, what an opportunity. You're bored. I'm not going to alleviate your boredom. If you don't know how to be bored, you'll never be a spiritual person. Because if there's anything true about spirituality, it's boring. If you don't believe that, come tonight to the Book of Open Common Prayer teaching. <laughs> it is just like, but there's something Formative about entering into something that's deeper than your emotions and your intellect, that forms you and creates a place in you for newness of life and where the spirit can begin to come and go and you don't know exactly what's going on and it energizes your life. It's not something that just happens in your emotions. It's something that happens in your spirit. I think that we've got to engage the world from the heart. We've got to, we've got to somehow recognize that, that most of us live in reaction to everything that's going on, and we never learn to live from another place. We never learn to respond to the world. We always react to the world. And responding means that you stop first and you realize 
God's with you and somehow he's in you and you spend enough time in these secret kind of spaces that take suffering to even enter into and you spend enough time that it begins to form and inform your day and life is different. Philippians 3, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. One translator translated this text, we are double-realmed people. We are people that live from two realms. Do you? Have you discovered the spiritual part of you? Are you encountering the Holy Spirit? It's not going to happen by somebody doing it at you. It's not going to happen by you having just enough magical time as we gather together that somehow your life is going to be transformed. There's no miracle prayer you pray that all this just works. It's nothing short of hard, pressing in spiritual work. Embrace the suffering. Do you have to be experts at this? No. What I delight in the fact is that you don't have to be very good at it at all, but you've got to do it some. Back in the 70s when I went to college and I had a full-time job, and I would leave the home, uh, leave our apartment about 7 in the morning, and I would come back about 11, 11.30 at night. I was jammed. I did not have time for devotions. I did not have time for studying the Bible. I mean, it, I was pretty jammed. And I remember thinking, I don't know how I'm going to be spiritual, because in my Protestant imagination, you had to, you know, when you listen to the preachers, they all told you had to pray for hours, seek God, read the Bible, listen to all these tapes. I thought, well, I don't know how I'm going to do that. I'm working. I got stuff to do, right? I couldn't figure it out. And one day I'm pulling up. This was in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm pulling up to the old uh, Skaggs Alpha Beta. Anybody remember the Skaggs Alpha Beta? <laughs> the old Skaggs Alpha Beta. And this, this, this <laughs> cowboy guy, we had him in the old deal. He was pulling out a pack of cigarettes. And as he pulled it out, I'm telling you, he, had, he did it, it was an art form. He pulled out that pack, and by the time he got it up to his lips, the hard pack was popped open, the cigarette was slid up, and pop! At the same time, just as he's approaching the returning of the butts to his butt, his other hand was here, and it was lit. He had a lighter, and it was one of those flip lighters. And I'm kidding, if it was slow motion, it would pop, flint flip, lit. It's like, wow. And I kid you not, I'm walking, watching that, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, that guy's a busy guy. He found a minute to get out there and have a cigarette. I'm a busy guy. I got I to gotta start having cigarette breaks with Jesus. Now, not literally smoking cigarettes, but that's what I, I thought, I'm going to call them God breaks. And so I started thinking, okay, and I, it was before the day of digital, so I'd have a, I had a pocket New Testament, which was both my cigarette and my lighter. And as I, anytime I'd walk across the store, I, worked, I actually worked at Skaggs. Anytime I'd walk across the store to get something or stock something, on the way I'd be walking, I'd pull out... And I did it as an art form. I mean, in my mind, I was lighting my cigarette. So I go like this. Paul, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And then I'd just smoke on that for a while. Ed, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. What does that even mean? That's really deep. Right? <laughs> oh, that was the wrong cigarette. But anyway... <laughs> Ones I never inhaled. Um, <laughs> but, but here's the point. I, I am not kidding you. For those two or three years, I was at such a vibrant place in my spiritual life. Full of life, full of love, full of a sense of God's power. And I never read the Bible, except like that. 
And I never spend hours in prayer. I didn't have time. I was right doing my God breaks. See, you can do God breaks, Mom, with your four jelly-faced toddlers. You can do God breaks, you guys that are just jammed in your jobs or gals that are jammed in your jobs. And you'll say, you do too have time. It might be on your way to the bathroom. It might be, a, it might be during, your, during your lunch break. Don't always go out and entertain everybody else. Pull aside for a minute. Find a God break. I am telling you, you don't have to be an expert at this. And God will meet you. And it'll still be suffering to even do that. But if the little dab of suffering will get you a long way. <laughs> All right. And then the last thing is the pain of obedience. We're talking about things like holiness. We're talking about times that you say no to things that you want to do. Sinful things. We're talking about giving. Where you just, it just hurts you to give. Hurts you to... You know, when you give in an offering, you think, there goes my parking lot, you know, that kind of thing. But you, you just move into it. You say, God, I'm trusting you in this middle of this lack in my life. I'm going to trust you. Or, or direct commands from God. At times in your life, God will speak to you. And if you don't obey him, he will leave you alone. I remember struggling. This was in a different college, also early 70s, right? I was out of high school. I was struggling. I was trying to figure out how to be a Christian out of high school, you know, because sometimes you leave and there's no restrictions, and then you really find out what you're made of. And I found out I wasn't made of all that much. <laughs> so I'm really struggling. And I remember thinking, okay, I need to get my life, I need to stand straight. And I started asking God, what's wrong? Why am I keep being a chameleon? Why do I keep, I'm around godly people, I'm a godly man, I'm around ungodly people, I'm less godly. <laughs> what do I do? And I felt like the Holy Spirit says, you need to tell Bill, who was your best friend, at the time, and he wasn't really following Christ. You need to tell him that you have to stop being friends with him. Don't tell him because he's bad. Tell him the truth. So I went to Bill and I said, Bill, I, said, I don't know if you're going to understand this. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I don't need you to understand. I, I just, you need to know this isn't about you. This is about me. I'm too weak. I want to have a stronger faith, and every time I get with you, I end up doing things that I know is wrong to do for me. And I know they're wrong, but I like you so much and enjoy being with you guys so much, I end up just giving in. And so I have to stop being friends with you. Now, I tell you, he got really mad. And I got really sad. But do you know two things happened? One is my life took a shift right there. And things began to happen in my life that led me into what I do now. Because I said yes to something that was very painful to say yes to. And Bill ended up coming to Christ fully and was my best man and the father of Andrew Art, right? So, you know, the story ended up sweet. So the point is, is that you have to be willing to embrace pain. You will never say yes to grace and no to sin patterns in your life if you don't embrace suffering. Titus says it this way, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to everybody and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. And it teaches us to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present context, in the age in which we live. While we wait for the blessed hope, the return of Jesus, who gave himself to redeem us from wickedness, purify us, making us a people that are eager to do good, all this kind of stuff. But grace that tells you to say no, gives you the power to say no and the power to say yes to the right things, requires work. It requires, and work, Always means suffering because you're pushing yourself in a direction that's not easy. It's work. And so we see in texts like 2 Corinthians, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in 
vain. In other words, the grace that helps you say no to the bad things and yes to the right things can be in vain. It can be right with you in your soul and be in vain to you. None effect. Won't work. Even though it's right there. Because you didn't understand. You have to suffer a bit to energize it. That life comes out of suffering. Pain. Loss. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace to me wasn't without effect. It wasn't in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet, I don't know if it was really me or the grace. I mean, just... Yet it was, you know, he's basically saying is somehow I know God is at work in me, but I also know I have to work too. And then there's this issue of sin, suffering, saying no. First Peter 4, this will make you happy. This is just a happy verse. This is one of those ones you hope you get when you pull it out of the bread thing. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, you won't have to. Now, he says the way Christ suffered in his body, which was pretty nasty. Read Golgotha. Nails, thorns, jabbed, people teasing, mocking, rebuking. Just like Christ suffered, arm yourself also with that same attitude, the attitude that you're going to suffer because he who has suffered is done in his body is done with sin. What's he saying? Is there's this impulse in you that wants to sin. If you say no to it, it's going to cry like a baby. It wants what it wants. I want, I do just want that piece of pie. I want the whole pie. And if you say no to it, it will. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Your body is used to getting what it gets. And I used to think, I used to think spirituality was, God, would you please just touch me in my emotions and touch me in such an amazing way that I will just forever say no to sin. Grace can teach me to say no to sin. And I will just, just love you with all my heart and mind and soul. And it'll just be wonderful. And if I could just get up to the altar and I prayed, I used to literally as a kid come up to the altar, sometimes for hours, God, please. You know, in my mind, the only image I could get is, is like Peter Parker who's just this normal guy, not very anything. And he just happens to be at the lab where the spider was. And, and the spider comes out and bites him. And the spider bites him. He falls out under the power. Oh. And then he gets up from the spider bite, and he's Spider-Man, doing whatever a spider can. And I'm not kidding you. Some in my mind, I wanted God to spider bite me. If I could just spend enough time, if I could get somebody to pray for me, if I could get the devil cast out, maybe if I go to a devil casting out thing, and they could just cast out everything, cast out that spirit or whatever, out of this person, then I'll cross that magic threshold where suddenly I've gotten spider bit by God, and I'll be godly man, doing whatever a godly man can. (laughs) It never entered my mind that what I needed to trust God for was waking up today and say, God... I'm going to suffer today because I like pie. And I can't eat too much of it. So I, I, need to, I need to understand that when I go to lunch and I have this urge for that extra sweet, that I'm going to have to say no to it. And it's my, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry. I'm going to whine. I'm going to justify. And I want right now to say, would you help me to embrace the suffering of saying no to myself? 
God, I'm going to feel that gal, you know, that works at our work, you know. She has the nicest clothes, and my stuff just isn't anywhere near as nice, and I just want to envy her. I'd love to hate her for you, Lord. I'd love to entertain it. I'd love to, or, or Lord, would you just take it out of me and deliver me? Just take it out of my soul and just touch me and deliver me. Neither one of those are working. What's going to work is you saying, God, I'm going to want to hate her. I'm going to want her to go to hell for about a week. <laughs> but would you help me to embrace the pain of celebrating her? And that when I move toward her in my mind or move toward her in person, that somehow I'll find something good and I'm going to feel. Do you remember the, the old uh, Wicked Witch of the West thing? Um, where at the end of the, what is that called? Uh, Wizard of Oz. At the end of the Wizard of Oz, it's, it's Halloween, right? So at the end of the Wizard of Oz, they, they throw the water on her. Do you remember what happens? Oh, my pretty. <laughs> right, right, right. See, that's what happens. You, you choose to suffer. It's like you say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm willing to bear this. It's like you throw water in your body and it goes, oh, my pretty. It starts to lose its power, but it hurts. Because I imagine that melting in the earth from water is painful. You want transformation? Then you and I need to enter the pain of both pursuing God and obeying God, because that's where power emerges. Last text, 1 Peter 4. Said then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. The hard good knowing God is present. Amen? Let's stand. One of the reasons I love the table is because what we just said is all here. In fact, everything we talk about in the gospel is all here. The broken bread, the shed cup, the blood, all symbolize a suffering that power comes from. And so when we come to this table, we're not only embracing what he did for us, we're also being embraced by this, which means that we understand the power of God to transform comes from this brokenness. And as we go into the world, we're going into the world as a broken people where we're willing to shed our blood in some ways and give ourselves in suffering as God changes the world. That's why we're not big on culture policing. That's why we don't think the gospel should be fought for in the public domain. What we think is we should stand for right no matter who it separates us from or separates us or associates us with, and we should just lovingly be for everybody no matter how much it hurts. Thank you for all those amens. It just resonated in the room. It was amazing. I felt it. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.